Imaginative Radio. We are back. This is episode 256 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin, and this is going to be a little different. Because my name is also Kevin. Oh, God. Don't you do it, too. <laughs> um, so this week, we've got my wife, Shelby, because um, Kevin's dead. Uh, he's on vacation. He's in Alabama, so um, probably be better off dead. I think Alabama in the summer sounds like a terrible fucking idea. Uh, All I can hear is banjos when you say Alabama. <laughs> We almost did Tennessee in the summer, and that probably would have been just as bad. We probably would have died. Uh, so not only do we have the property manager of the studio on, we also have the executive co-producer of the show. Declan is in here, too, like normal, except this time he has a microphone stuck in his face, and he has no clue what to do with it. Because he's also playing with the book and watching Bluey, so that's okay. But anyway, this week, um, I wanted to do a badass... And I gave you the option. It's like, do you want World War II or pirates? And you're like, World War II. I'm like, okay, cool. So, this week we're going to talk about Pat Glover. And uh, more importantly, um, a sidekick that he has that we'll get to here very shortly. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and again, how this guy... How he got the, na- the name Pat, I have no idea. Because he was born Joseph Winston Glover. The 16th of October, 1908, because we have to do it British style, because they go small, medium, biggest for days, because they're backwards. I like that better, but the metric system is still bullshit. It is. So so he was born in Wigan, which is in Lancashire, when I know I pronounced that right, Daniel, (laughs) son of a bitch. Yeah, Uh, Daniel. Oh, I have to say Danny, because I can't say Daniel, because I get him him confused with the other one. Um, And Ben just doesn't care that I mispronounced Didn't he call you, like, septic tanks or some shit the other day? Yeah. Some, like, cockney rhyming bullshit for Americans. <laughs> it's like, listen, you guys haven't beaten us in a war in, like, 200 years. I mean, it's not sure. wrong calling you a septic tank. Just give you some, give you some fucking myself, yeah. ice cream or cheese and you're a fucking septic I'm tank. I'm so glad there was nobody in that room with me the other day at work. Because, <laughs> oh my god, I would have been fired immediately. <laughs> like, you've been here less than a week. You need to leave. We need an exorcist <sighs> in here. So his childhood is kind of a mystery. Didn't really find anything at all, really, on his early life. Like, nothing about his schooling or, you know, how he grew up or anything. Not surprised by that. Which is kind of rare, because, like, usually we can do some digging and find it, but this yeah. guy is just, he's an anomaly. He, you know, he didn't exist until he was in his fucking 20s, basically. Maybe he's a time traveler. Something like that. Um, so, sometimes, like, you get that whole three-name thing with podcasts, and you're like, oh, serial killer, because they always... <clears throat> whenever they have them in the newspaper, it's always, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it, it's three names because that's what they do. This time, he's just a bad son of a bitch. So we can ignore the serial killer aspect right there. September 1939. I've, I've started so many fucking sentences on this show with that exact same thing. <laughs> um, because the Nazis invaded Poland. Um like to think that they marched in backwards to make the Poles think they were leaving. <laughs> uh, and England, they really did not like the idea of Germany 
being shitty like this. Mm-hmm. Thought he was going to comment there. I did too. I'm really expecting like <laughs> nine. No. Like, oh God. Nine. It's tiny German. Um, so September 3rd, which was uh, about three days after. <laughs> there he is. He's warming up. He yeah. was a little microphone shy. Yeah, he'll, he'll start running his mouth here shortly. Um, so this was, uh, I want to say it was three or four days after the Germans marched into Poland. Mm-hmm. Prime Minister uh, Neville Chamberlain decided, you know, helping the Poles is a good idea, and they declared war on Germany. Uh, he will not be around to finish the war because he was kind of a shitbag. Uh, they end up with Winston Churchill, who is fantastic. Um, one of my favorite Winston Churchill things was he was at some some big, like, political party thing, and he was talking to somebody, and he was he was shithouse drunk. And uh, this woman, you know, she's like, sir, you're drunk, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he goes, madam, you're ugly. I'll wake up in the morning and not be drunk. You will still be ugly when you wake up. <laughs> like, this man is awesome. Savage. He was fucking crazy good. Uh. I guess we're getting sound effects yes. brought to you by Declan today. So the important thing to remember is this didn't just set... We probably could have got him, like, less noisy shit for this. There you go. You talk? Say hi. Can you say hello? So the important thing to remember here is not only did this pull England proper into a war, it also sent all of their colonies to war as well. India, Australia, Nepal. Um, If you need proof of how badass the Nepalese were in World War II, we recorded a Gurkha episode a couple weeks ago. They're fucking crazy. Um, It also pulled the Canadians in, which, again, we need to talk about more Canadians during World War II because there were some bad, bad dudes that were from north of the border that went and fought. But we're going to jump ahead to 1942, where at this point he's been in the 4th Hussar Cavalry Regiment for about about 12 years at this point. So he's he's not been just fucking around and not doing anything. Most of that had been peacetime but he'd be given an emergency commission to quartermaster in the Pioneer uh, Pioneer Corps on July 20th of that same year. Okay. As a quartermaster, it's not just his job to gear up the the unit. He helped create the battalion itself. Like mm-hmm. He would help recruit and all this other stuff to get these guys here to, uh, to go off to war. So after they're all squared away, he and the newly formed 10th Parachute Regiment, uh, I'm going to call it 10th Para from here on out, They'd be shipped off to Kibrit, which is in Egypt, on March 6, 1943. <laughs> the dogs are trying to eat our child because he has watermelon on him. He just fed Danny a piece of watermelon. She was very gentle. and Yeah. She's a good dog. She's kind of an idiot, but she's a good dog. Yeah. Uh, and from here, they would jump to Ramat David, which was in Palestine. It's now Israel. A whole other can of worms. We're not going to get geopolitical. Yep. And- Getting into the, you know, is it Palestine, is it Israel, all that bullshit, because honestly, I don't care enough. Right. You watermelon on your finger, by the way. Thank you. That's gross. Saving it for later. Yep. Um, a lot of people don't really realize that the British had a pretty strong foothold in what's now Egypt. Yep. Um, I didn't dating, realize that. So th- that goes back to when they, they during World War One they were fighting the Turks. And they kind of broke through some of their lines and yep. took all of Israel back. And that was in 1917. And they had had um, they'd had a presence there ever since. So they'd been there for 
almost 30 years. Yep. Um, we'll call it, also ignore the fact that they kind of owned <laughs> the entire area back during the Crusades, too, uh, until the Muslims showed up and beat the brakes off of them. <laughs> the, the, the Crusades are fucking wild. Like, we don't have enough time to do yeah, anything about them because yeah. it would be a, a whole secondary podcast to talk about the Crusades. Lieutenant Glover was there to oversee the transfer from Palestine to Tunisia, where they would hook up with the rest of the 1st Airborne Division. Next up on his... Whoops. Sorry. Next up on his World War II bingo card was Operation Slapstick, um, which consisted of Brits landing at Taranto, which is uh, in Italy. So where the heel and the bottom of the foot meet yep. in Italy, it's like that... that chunk right there a little taint of it it's like where your heel would actually be in high heels you know that 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 spot there um but that's where that's where taranto is and this would consist of them landing by sea and also jumping in out of airplanes this is within weeks of the italians surrendering to the allies and declaring war on the nazis jesus which a lot of people also don't realize that happened. Yeah. Because the Italians got sick of Mussolini's shit and they hung him upside down and beat him to death, basically. And then they're like, yeah, fuck these Nazi cunts. We're, uh, <laughs> we're done. Yeah. There was, I mean, there was certain parts of the government that still sided with the Germans and they kind of split. Um, the fucking Italian front in World War II doesn't get as, as much attention as it should because some crazy stuff happened there. Um, so this, this was not the best place to try to fight through to get basically anywhere. You have to fight across all these bridges and canals and shit. And the whole surrounding land is flat and wide open. There's no, nowhere really to hide. So the Germans had all kinds of time to set up roadblocks and ambushes. And, um, it was not a good day for the good guys. Yeah. Uh, the Paris suffered 58 dead, 154 wounded. Jesus. And the Navy itself lost 48 men, and the HMS Abdeel was sunk. So wow. they, they lost a fucking ship in this, Yeah, too. Jesus. Uh, from here, he was sent back with the rest of his battalion to Rutland, where he became addicted to heroin and started hanging out on the side <laughs> of the road with a sign. Um, no, that's wrong, Rutland. He went back to Rutland, England, which yeah. I'm not sure if it's any better. Or if it just runs with the name. <laughs> Could you know? be. One, one of one of our English folks will have to let us know what Rutland is like there. Because here, it's a shithole. Oh, yeah. yeah. A big old shithole. Yeah. And we both work there. So here's where it gets fun and a little goofy. He starts taking his boredom out in the local bird population. He's shooting sparrows, swallows, starlings. Um, one that you need to be careful of if you see a... Yeah, he's yeah. telling you, you better listen to him or he'll kick your ass. Um, one that you, you have to be careful of if you notice a flock of them in public. The, uh, the a great flock tit. of seagulls? Oh, the great tits. Yeah, because you'd be like, oh, look at all the great tits. There's titties everywhere. That tree? Full of great tits. Like, mm. you know. Um, <laughs> Imagine what? walking up to some like, somebody that's got one be like, hey, that's a nice tit. <laughs> nice tits, man. <laughs> what? Your birds. Oh. It's it's the it's the dumb and dumber thing. Great yeah. set of hooters you got there. Excuse me, the owl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one bird that drew his ire more than the others was the old Victorian weathercock on top of the All Saints Church. 
It's a uh, weather vane. It's a rooster. Okay, yeah. that's funny. Um, they just called it a weathercock, and I'm like, I have to put it in that way because it's hilarious. <laughs> um, so it was, it was on top of the All Saints Church, which is across the road from his office where he lived, basically. Okay. This was done strictly out of revenge because this thing would spin uncontrollably at night. So it would squawk and squeak and wake him up and keep him up at night. And it made him angry. So one morning he opened his window and from about 60 yards away, he put two or three 22 rounds through it, um, sending it spinning in circles. Was that a He, a he shot it with a 22. Okay. Yeah. Um, and th- this entertained him, so he kept using his target practice. So he's shooting at a church because there's a, a rooster on top of it. Um, a few nights later, they're at the... Uh, <laughs> you're a dork a few nights later they're at the mess hall and uh him and the boys they uh they did what a lot of younger guys would do when left to their own devices and have no adult supervision they drank a lot a lot <laughs> like a lot for british people that's, that's a, a lot, lot. <laughs> ben so, could probably testify oh, to ben that and Danny, i'm sure could tell us like, oh god yeah because i know that they they tell us that we have pussy beer all like constantly because Basically, anything you get here is like 5 or 6% alcohol by volume. Shit over there doesn't... <laughs> he is yelling into his bowl from his watermelon, if anybody uh, wants to know what that is. So, like, shit over there doesn't even count as beer until it hits, like, 10%. Yeah. Which would be, like, drinking two Bud Lights at the same time. <laughs> you know? Um... Except it would, probably wouldn't make you gay. No, uh, probably not. Not that Bud Light would make you gay, but it's yeah. just shitty beer. Mm, you know? Give you the shits more than anything. That's bush. Oh, yeah. Because there is a specific type of diarrhea that comes with bush <laughs> called bush mush. <laughs> bush. <laughs> if you've never had bush mush, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> it is the worst, like, foamy diarrhea you have ever had. Like, your poop has head. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. when you pour you your beer in your head. Before you can flush, yeah. <laughs> It's it's nasty. Yeah, made that mistake more than once, and uh, wow, holy crap! You gotta like sit on the toilet just angled right, like when you pour the beer perfectly, yeah, the, yeah, you so like, you don't get the heads. You gotta, you gotta lift one cheek just to. He agrees. This is coming from somebody who's shit twice in the last five days. Yeah, so. poor guy. I know. I felt so bad for him. Um, so they're they're discussing the logistics of this shot. That he's made out of his window against this rooster, which, uh, in my opinion, 60 yards iron sights on a fairly large metal target is not a real hard shot. Yeah. That's also because I grew up shooting 22s and shit, and it's like... For me, that would be hard. Yeah, I mean, that, that bird that got into our chicken coop, I shot that thing twice in the head at 30 yards with iron sights through, through chicken, chicken wire. wire. You know? <laughs> and then I got closer to make sure it was dead and put three more in it. From, like, 15 yards, but at that, you know, it was already on the ground then, but... I mean, I hit it in the head twice before it hit the ground, which I thought was pretty impressive, but, you know, what do I know? (laughs) So this led into an argument on the aerodynamics of birds in general. Oh, jeez. And one guy brings up the the conversation point that chickens can't fly. Which, us as, you know... Amateur chicken farmers ourselves, no. Chickens can fly. Yeah. Not very well, but they can fly. Yeah, they can. So the next day, 
Pat Glover sets out to prove that point exactly. Hung over his shit, he's going to prove that he's right. He ventures off into the country and he finds a small farm, and then he proceeds to spend the better part of an hour quote-unquote procuring a small brownish-red chicken. Which to me, brownish-red like chicken... Like Isa? Yeah, I think like Isa or like... Or Rhode uh, Island Red. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, he procured said chicken without the farmer's knowledge or permission. So he's... Gonna, he stole the chicken. Chicken. He stole the chicken. Um... He inspected the bird, made sure she was all right, and uh, figured, I'm going to keep this thing for a while, and I should probably name it. And he lands on Myrtle. Myrtle. He <laughs> named her after a uh, Old again, lady. finger quotes, popular woman around the army base that happened to be a redhead. Mm. So she... Uh, I bet she was real popular. The term that they would use now is barracks bunny. A barracks yeah. bunny? Which is the girl that you bring into the barracks, you fuck, and then you try to get so out. So like a lot lizard. Yeah. <laughs> you, try, you try to get her out before the, your you know officers find out that she's there, and they kill you with PT. Because <laughs> they, will, they will fucking make you run until your asshole's bleeding, apparently, for stuff like that. So within a few days, they went up for parachute exercises, and Myrtle tagged along in a zipped uh, like in a zipped up canvas shoulder bag so they're in the plane he jumps out and old school parachutes the way they worked was they had a lead line yep so you jumped out of the plane and once that line got to the end it would snap and that was what released your parachute okay so it wasn't like nowadays where you could jump out and wait and then pull your chute this was you were you know However far it was to be clear of the plane, and that thing snapped out, and your chute went off. It's because all the lights are on at the same time. Um, so he oh. gets, gets. I wonder what like the whiplash would be from that. I I don't know. Um, I know a lot of guys, um, a lot of American guys complained about when they would jump out. They had these fucking leg bags. Yeah. So they'd keep all of their all of their heavier stuff in a, a a bag that was strapped to their leg. Jesus. And apparently, when they jumped out, when the wind would catch it, it would snap your feet off. It would like smash your feet together. Yeah. And you'd go almost sideways before your parachute Ooh. snapped out. So that's a lot. A lot of them were like, "Fuck this thing! I'll just take whatever I need and jump that way." Yeah. I I don't know why they would have done that in the first place. It seems hey, like a like really stupid idea. Weigh them down or what? So at about six hundred feet. Uh, his chute's open at this point. He unzips the bag and tries to encourage Myrtle out. Speaking of a bag. Yes. <laughs> so she stuck her head out, clucked and made a whole bunch of noise at him, and then retreats back into the bag. Yeah, I would too. He waits till they get down to about 50 feet, and he pulls her out of the bag and just releases her. Jesus. At 50 feet off the ground. Poor chicken. Um, Probably would have died in a... They, they can have a freaking heart attack from you, like, sneaking up on yeah, them. Could you imagine? The ones that we're trying to put aprons on so that they don't get their backs clawed off by the rooster almost died. Yeah. Were, um, but to the shock of the others, she glided very smoothly down to the ground and then just kind of landed as gracefully as possible for a chicken. Which is not very. Probably it was just feet, wings, and ass all hitting yeah. at the same time. And, um, a fucking frantic ball yeah. of feathers. So he was so worried about her safety. Um, also, he didn't want her to run off because he'd become quite fond of the chicken Aww. over the course of a couple of days. Myrtle. He runs over to her. He unfortunately neglected to 
get out of his parachute first. So as he's running, the wind picks up. Oh, no. And opens his shoe and kind of sucks him to the side. And when it did, it broke his thumb because of how he had his hand oh, on, the, on, yeah. the, on the ropes and stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, dislocated his thumb. It didn't break it. Pat made a neat little perch for in his office out of a round metal bar, which, had he been a chicken farmer... So after he broke his thumb, what happened? Did he get to her? Oh, yeah. And she was okay? Yep. Okay. Uh, had he been a chicken farmer, he would have known that round is not the best option for a perch for chickens. Nope. Because it's not good for their feet. It's not. He should have done square. Anyway. <laughs> she would kind of hang out at his desk, and uh, on one occasion, a superior officer walking by notices what he thought was a parrot, <laughs> and then sticks his head in to find out it's a goddamn chicken. <laughs> And gave him a pile of shit about having a hen just cruising around in his office. And he wants an explanation. To which Pat responded, and I fucking quote, What kind of quartermaster would I be if I didn't plan ahead for food shortages? <laughs> <laughs> That's some shit you would say. Yeah, so he, he came up with this off like off the top of his ass, like, It's not my pet, it's in case you run out of food. Uh, through the rest of the summer, and I can't believe I'm about to fucking say this, Myrtle accompanied Pat Glover on six more jumps. Jesus Christ. She must have liked it then. He would re release her from higher and higher heights each time, eventually releasing her from 300 feet off the ground. Jesus Christ. That's a badass chicken. Right? Badass Myrtle. Yeah. So she made it to the ground before him and waited patiently for him, just walking around, pecking at bugs and shit, doing chicken stuff. <laughs> before I forget... After the sixth jump, and this is the, might be the weirdest shit I've ever said on the show, and that's saying something. After the sixth jump, she was awarded with her jump wings, just like everybody else who completed <laughs> parachute training. Um, since she didn't have a lapel or a chest to pin it to, Glover found a bit of elastic banding yeah, and tied her... them to it and put it on her like a fucking necklace. Jesus Christ. So she's got some fucking bling. She has got silver parachute jump wings because she earned them. <laughs> Can you imagine the person that was like, we got to get that chicken some wings. The, the thing is, like, when this, and who actually pinned her? When well, this guy her. did this shit, he was the same age I am now. <laughs> Which, me, like, to me is like, okay, so I don't necessarily have to grow up. This is fun. I can just be a <laughs> giant idiot for the rest of my life. Um, next stop for the newly minted Paris, including Myrtle, and now 35-year-old Pat Glover, would be beautiful, sunny Lincolnshire which I'm sure it's not any of those things because it's in England and it's probably raining like fucking crazy <laughs> at uh, RAF Spano. Um, <laughs> Danny just messaged me. What crazy Englishman are you doing for the podcast? You should be listening by now, Dan. Yeah, Dan. Pat Glover, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, they would spend the next few days there being told that, you know, get ready, we're going. No, we're not. Weather change. Get ready, we're going. No, we're not. Weather change. It was the same shit that happened before D-Day. Yeah. So June 6th, when, when D-Day happened, was actually supposed to be, like, originally June 4th and then June 5th. And then the weather cleared up enough that we're like, we can drop, we can, you know, send everybody out to die on the beach now instead. Right? Um, How considerate of them. So the the 4th and 5th is because it had, ra it had been rainy and foggy, like, to the point that they, they couldn't get the planes off the ground because yep. they couldn't see shit. Like, they could barely see the planes when they were walking across the, the tarmac to them. So the weather was shitty. And then the 6th, they're just like, go well, on. fuck it. Yeah. 
Hop in that fucking Higgins boat and go get shot by some dickhead with an MG42 from the beach. When the weather eventually clears, the... Okay. This dog fucking breathes and obese. Yes, she does. <laughs> Is there a critter in the wall? There's a cat out there. Oh. Um, unlike some podcasts, we don't My let our Lord. cats on the show. We just let the dogs in here. Can you... To breathe I super fast. I swear to God, you guys have to hear this obese dog. I can recreate it. And that's just her breathing regularly. She's not even that fat. No, she's a little chunky. She's solid for a she's golden retriever. She's a chunky retriever. girl. She's a chunk, yeah. Yeah. She's she not, not fat by any stretch of the imagination. She's built like a golden retriever. Yeah. Derpy um, and chumpy. Yeah. So they would take off for Holland, um, and they're approaching the city of Arnhem to take their part in Operation Market Garden, which was a huge, huge mess. Uh, Operation Market Garden at that point in time was the largest <coughs> airborne invasion in history. Okay. Something like 100,000 some odd troops just jumped out of airplanes over Holland. Okay. It's fucking crazy. If you've ever seen Band of Brothers, you've seen yeah. you've seen uh, spots of Arnhem and Market yeah. Garden and shit like that. Uh, so as they're approaching Arnhem, they start taking fire from flat cannons on the ground. His C-47 was taking rounds pretty heavily, and he described it, quote, sounding like someone was beating the outside of the plane with sledgehammers, which has got to be fucking horrifying, because you're in that thing. And these are rounds that are made specifically to kill airplanes. Jesus. So our boy Pat would be the first man out the, out the door, uh, not without a little bit of hesitation, because as he's standing at the door, he looks down to see a city in flames. Um between the shelling and all this other shit, the Germans have set this set the entire city wow. on, on fire. Um, he sees mortars exploding, and he can actually see the flak rounds coming up to meet his plane. This this is this is a hairy situation to be in. He's also nervous because he's not real sure about the condition of his parachute. Because he remember, as he's standing in the door waiting for the light to turn green, he remembers all the times that he'd walked into his office after a jump had been canceled or they had you know, been told, well, we're not going today. Yep. And he just dropped it on the floor and just kicked it out of the way and stuff. Probably not the best way to treat a parachute. No. Um, and he had, he had had more than a couple of times where he had asked for a new one and told no <laughs> because, uh, budget cuts. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because he's the fucking quartermaster. He's the guy that he should be asking. For stuff. Yeah. But his higher-ups are like, nah, yours is fine. Yeah, put a little duct tape on it. That'd be like a modern answer. Yeah, yeah put a little duct tape. It'll Zip ties, yeah, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> so he's kicked the piss out of this thing for weeks on end, and now he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, fuck, I might die because of this. So he watches as the plane approaches his landing zone, and then he sees the light turn green and just steps out of a perfectly good airplane. When he hits the ground, he makes sure that he rolls onto his right side. As to not squash poor Myrtle. You can't squash her. And uh, as soon as he hit the ground and his Batman, which... I am Batman. Right. And that's what people are like, what, fucking Batman? No. His name is Joe Scott. A Batman is an officer's personal assistant. I didn't know that was a thing. So I wonder how that acronym, like, oh, no, correlates with it. I have no idea how they came up with it. The English are the only ones that have it. Hmm. You Batman. Know. His Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, no, <laughs> Joe Scott. Um, so they run towards the yellow smoke, and which is 
their landing spot. This is where you guys are supposed to be is where the smoke is. They get to the, the spot. They muster everybody together. And he hands Myrtle off to Joe. It's like, because it's like, you're not going to do anything. You're not supposed to be doing anything. I have Germans to kill. Yeah. So take care of my chicken. Um, <laughs> Could you imagine just being in the middle of a war setting and you're sitting there just stroking a chicken as it's like pecking the ground. You got dirt. shit blowing up everywhere. There's bullets <laughs> flying around. And this guy's like, keep an eye on my bird. What? Um, he asked him, he's like, he's like, we didn't bring enough food for her. And, and Joe Scott said, no, I brought a pocket full of cornflakes. Between that and everything she can find on the ground, she'll be fine. Chickens are pretty resourceful when it comes to getting food. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so, they've eaten their own feathers. Oh, yeah. Ever... Eat their own eggs and shit. Yeah. So he turns and he's watching as this the town that they're in is like <laughs> Ginkle Heath. Ginkle Heath? Which isn't a real goddamn place. This whole city's on fire. And he's watching guys drop out of the airplane. Stroke and Myrtle. And he's watching guys fall into burning buildings. Jesus. Which, I mean, human skin. Oh, the cloth, smell. And then silk from the parachutes hitting fire. It's got to be atrocious. Uh, at some point, there's a there's a guy that I want to cover that, <laughs> that fought on. I want to say it was Iwo Jima. Yeah. He was a flamethrower operator. Oh, God, the smell. And, uh, it, there was an interview with him later in life. And they're like, how did you uh, how did you handle that after the fact? And he goes, I just I can't eat barbecue. Uh, what? Yeah, right. Because apparently humans burning smells like pork being cooked I, I don't blame him I'd probably be done with pulled pork after yeah. that um, I mean after you attempt to make yourself barbecue that smell was gnarly I'm definitely not eating anything with teriyaki sauce on it after <laughs> I cooked that many Japanese people <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah he watches these guys fall into burning buildings and he's like alright cool I gotta fucking get out of here come on Myrtle so they're moving across the zone and Glover and a couple of his men encounter a pretty badly wounded lieutenant who was with the 156th Battalion. He'd, he'd been hit in the legs and chest with incendiary, incendiary rounds, which I know you don't know what those are. No. They're rounds that when they hit, they set fires. Oh. Uh, so again, human flesh and then cloth burning, and he's been hit in the legs and chest with this shit. Ew. Um, he's in a bunch of pain, so Glover does his best that he can to play medic. He offers him morphine, and then he leaves to find the medic. Apparently, after he had left, some of some of his guys reported that he was like, just please kill me. Just yeah, get it, begging. Get it over with the way. I don't want to live through this. Um, they did not shoot him, but one of them took his Webley revolver cocked the hammer and put it in his hand and then they just walked away oh no um when they returned later they found him dead they're not 100 percent sure if he committed suicide or if a stray german bullet found him and put him out of his misery but either way he was he was not there anymore yeah the following day as the poles start landing on their gliders thankfully they were british made and not polish made um so <laughs> gliders in world war ii are fucking crazy it's basically a big wooden box with a nose piece and wings on it that they would tow behind a plane. Jesus And then they'd Christ. get to a certain point and just release it. And you'd... And land. Okay? If you were lucky. There was no landing craft, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure it was just a gut and just... And just oh, land on Jesus. Um, 
<laughs> there was a kind of mixed results for the, the landing of them. <laughs> uh, it was either everybody was fine and whatever, or you'd fucking open this thing up and there's just people scattered everywhere, broken legs and shit hanging from the ceiling. You know, you were either going to land good or like shit. There was really no in between. Um, so Glover finds one of his sergeants and uh, gets him in the Jeep and he goes, take all these water jugs, all these water containers, go back behind the lines and fill them. He was never seen again. Fairly confident he didn't run off. Um, most likely got caught in a German ambush somewhere and yeah, killed. killed. So as dust sets, the 10th Paris, um, they try to retreat across the railway lines to uh, Wolfes. Wolfes? Uh, I'm sure you're butchering that. <clears throat> it's Wolf, H-E-Z-E. I don't know, it's probably some weird made-up fucking vowel some sound fucking to Belgian it. Belgian shit that yeah. I don't understand. So Glover notices that this area is fucking lousy with German machine guns. They are everywhere. So to try to keep their silhouettes to a minimum, he and his guys, and Myrtle, uh, crawl up the rail lines, and then when they get to a point where they can, they just roll off the other side. Yeah. So Glover makes sure all makes sure all of his guys are getting there, and then he's kind of bringing up the rear. So it's either him or the guy directly in front of him was spotted. He's plugging uh, Ruger in. Oh, you're getting him with the, the VGA cable. So it was either Glover or the guy right in front of him, but one of them was spotted and the Germans opened up. They're just raking the ground with machine gun Jesus. fire. Um, so as they're being shot at, Glover and his guys are trying, are trying to dig the best they can, like little trenches and foxholes. Yeah. Essentially with their rifles, bare hands and helmets. Jesus. You know, they're just trying to get the fuck out of the way while they're being shot at. Um, eventually, the the ambush ends. And Glover gives the most British order ever. And he orders his Batman, Scott, to brew tea. <laughs> These, you guys and your fucking tea, kill me. Because, like, you, you could be in the middle of, again, a firefight. And you're like, ah tea now that they're done shooting let's do it some tea and crumpets so as scott is brewing tea glover's like where's myrtle where's where's the bag with myrtle he's like oh i set her down when we started digging oh no just to to get her out of the way so it then it, it occurs to him that he hasn't heard or seen myrtle since this whole thing started so he starts crawling back down getting out of the foxhole makes his way back to where she'd been left and um so he's doing this all in the dark he doesn't want to give his position away with any kind of lighting or anything so he feels around finds the bag um finds that unfortunately myrtle has now become very very familiar with a bunch of machine gun rounds um this is this is one of those moments where if this was a, a better produced show i would play taps for the chicken because Glover gathered a few of his men, including Batman Scott, and they buried Myrtle underneath a nearby hedge. Um, <laughs> when Scott was standing there, um, one of the one of the men asked, "He's like, should we take her wings? Uh, you know, her her her, her wings, not, wings. Her, not her actual <laughs> wings." So, um, man, he must have been hungry if he was thinking about chicken wings. Right? And Glover just shook his head. Um, the brave fowl, this battle-hardened poultry, had earned them. 
No. And after they covered her up, Scott offered a few words and said she was game to the last. Aww. So, so Myrtle is our first actual casualty of this episode. You have gotten so soft becoming <laughs> a dad. Uh huh. Yeah, he's actually crying. The English always got up to some goofy shit in World War II. There's another dude we're going to cover at one point in time who fucking, as part of his kit, he brought an umbrella with him because, again, he's British. Um, And (laughs) allegedly, according to witnesses and his own words, blinded a German tanker through a gun port with it. Interesting. (laughs) he, He walked up to the tank and he, like... He saw the gun port. He saw the gun come out. It was like a rifle port. Yeah. And he just fucking jammed the umbrella in and apparently hit the guy in the face with it. <laughs> um, and then he was like walking down the street with his umbrella up trying to get guys off the off to the side of the roads during a mortar attack. It's not like an umbrella is going to fucking stop you or protect right. you. He never got fucking hit with anything. And one of the guys is like, "You're how are you not getting hit with mortars? He's, I brought my umbrella. The British were fucking crazy in World War II. Yeah. We've already covered Jack Churchill, who brought a goddamn longbow with him. Yeah. And killed Nazis with a fucking bow and arrow during <laughs> World War II. Uh, oh, also brought his 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 claymore with him and killed a couple with a sword, too. So, Jesus. You know. <clears throat> he probably never got hit because everybody just stopped so what they're doing. Like, like yeah. crazy man yeah. with a derby hat and an who umbrella. Who let this asshole the asylum? Yeah. This fucking guy. He's probably got a monocle or some shit with him. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, let's get back to this now sad story. Um, I like to think that he just snapped Should off like a, a super fucking crisp salute and like then they returned to the trenches. Um, so at 0300 on Wednesday the 20th of September, Glover was, uh, was at battalion headquarters with Lieutenant Colonel Smythe and Major Ashworth, super goddamn British, of the, uh, of the headquarters company. Um, the battalion was surrounded by enemy and be, had become kind of fragmented yep. to the point that they couldn't function as a, that they could they couldn't function as a unit anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, so on his butt. Smythe said, "I think we've had it. I've lost my command, and I don't know. I don't know where we are." I think you'd be better off to get in pairs and decide if you want to stick with me or go at it on your own. That's saying something to be like, I I can't fucking do anything. Like, you guys can, you know, Scooby-Doo this shit and go off in pairs in your own directions or whatever. Dude just hijacked a table and he's eating (laughs) lemon bread. Man. (laughs) Living his best life. Mm -hmm. Tell him how yummy it is. (sighs) So Glover and Ashworth discussed the matter, and between themselves, they're both determined to stay with their commander, thinking this is probably the best idea. So by dawn, the the remnants of the 10th Battalion have gathered under Smythe, and uh, they're, they're gathering, and they're being harassed on both sides by Germans. And they begin, the, yeah, begin to make their way towards the uh, Osterbeck perimeter. Osterbeck's a city. It's got the goofiest pronunciation of all time. So as they draw near to the the first airborne division's lines, he says there are too many Germans between us and headquarters, and those uh, and those that are we're going to charge. So it's like there's too many Germans here, but we're gonna fucking attack these guys anyway because why not? So the 10th Battalion fixed bayonets and surged forward, successfully breaking through the perimeter. So they're wicked outnumbered, and they've decided 
just stick knives on our guns and run. <laughs> the, the bayonet charge is fucking insane. Like, I would, like, fix bayonets. Nah, I got a better idea, and I'd shoot myself in the head. <laughs> yeah. Um, Smythe then reported back to Major General Ukhart, which that's a fucking name. Ur Urquhart, or Ukhart. Figure your shit out, England. You either all have, like, fairy tale names or this yeah. unpronounceable orc bullshit. Um, so this is back at the Hartenstein Hotel. Um, and by the time they get there, the entire unit is down to a total of 60 men. Um, that's not good. They, they've they lost not, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Stop. So here, Glover would sit down... <laughs> When they get there, Glover sat down and, and propped himself up against a tree to rest for a little bit. Um, his feet are fucking, like, smoked. Oh, he's I'm got, sure. He's got two pairs of socks on, and his feet are still blistered. Um, he didn't realize until he looked over to his left that he, that he had company at the tree. There was uh, two dead glider pilots propped up against it. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? He was, he, <laughs> he was too tired to even give a shit that he's sitting next to two dead guys. He's like, whatever, and just kind of closed his eyes for a little bit. Yeah. As he rested, uh, he heard the rumble of aircraft and thought, "Quote, what now?" <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're like what <laughs> so the fuck fucking else? annoyed. Like, yeah. You know why? What? Come on. Turns out it's the good guys. It's the RAF dropping off supplies. Um. Once they'd been dropped, Lieutenant Colonel Pack, who was the commander of the uh, Royal Army Services Corps, asked Glover and the three other men to retrieve any supply canisters that had landed nearby. He's about to leave when Major Ashworth returns and gives him orders for, uh, from Lieutenant Colonel Smythe to proceed to the crossroads at the center of the eastern edge of the perimeter to discover the British uh, positions in that area. So they're trying to re like connect back up with some, some British positions. So they conducted a recon of the area, and then they returned back to the hotel, and uh, Glover was told to go back with as many men as he could get together. Uh, <laughs> he came up with a half a dozen dudes, and um, they took over a little house with uh, Lieutenant Sanders, because he hasn't become colonel yet, <laughs> uh, of the number 18 platoon. Glover was later moved further forward into a, another large building, uh, which was actually a restaurant before it had been shelled to dog shit and back. Along this lane was a self-propelled gun, which was in view of Glover's former experience being in the cavalry. He goes, this is a good idea. So he sends word back to, can't make this up, Major Peter War, which is a great fucking name for a general. It's a uh, <laughs> Peter War, you have to be a fucking officer in the military right? at that point. That's ridiculous not to Just by default because of your last right. name. So he's uh, he's with B Company. Um, <laughs> thank you for the shoelaces. Oh, I don't get them anymore? No. Damn, dude. Um, thank you. Oh, Tommy doesn't get them either. So he he sends word back to... Back to you know, the lines. Thanks, dude. But it doesn't get there quite in time. Because he's like, fuck it. We've got guys out in the open. I'm going to go get this vehicle. Yep. Um, 
So when he reaches it, he finds. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> Is that your little fucking like damn, war dude, call? Crazy. <laughs> so he gets to the vehicle and it is just full of blood. Like everyone who has ever existed has been killed in this vehicle. Um, he also noticed that the breech block is missing, which basically means that the gun is a paperweight. Oh, that's um, helpful. Yeah. The only smell stronger in the vehicle was than blood was diesel. Because there was also a diesel line that had been nicked around the fuel tank. Oh, no. Um, so for the next 10 minutes, he fights this piece of shit and he finally gets it running. The only mistake he made was he gave was going to give it a little bit of time to warm up. Because oh. it's a diesel and you can't just take off in it because it's a fucking diesel. You gotta let it's it gotta warm. warm up. So once it starts smoking, it becomes a target for both sides, the Brits and oh, the Germans. Oh, no. Um, the Brits seeing an operational German vehicle and the Germans seeing what they assumed was an abandoned vehicle that's now moving. And they... You heard it first. That's yeah. what they did. So they shelled the absolute dog shit out of this vehicle. They never hit it directly. Yep. But the explosions were so frequent and so close that it hit, knocked his goddamn false teeth out. Jesus. Onto the floor. Covered in blood. Ooh. There is no amount of glasses of fucking water to get an, someone else's blood out of your dentures before you put them back in. I hope with every ounce of my being that he just stuck him in his shirt pocket. I was like, I'll just burn these when I get back. Uh, there's, there's no fucking way that I would ever even put like consider putting those back in my mouth. No, I would just <clears throat> fucking left them. Just stomp on them. Like, fuck it. Don't just need these Just call anymore. me fucking gummy or something. Gumby. Gummy. So for all of his heartache, getting this fucking thing running and then having his teeth knocked out into somebody else's blood. This vehicle made it 30 feet before it died. Jesus Christ. So he then was like, fuck this, and just ran back to where he came from. He's delirious. Uh, so I'm going to take a break here, and um, we come back, it'll probably be just me, because it is way past somebody's bedtime. If you can't tell. Talking about you, lady. Yeah. I'm going to turn into a pumpkin. Yeah. Or maybe I already am a pumpkin. Turn into a blumpkin. A blumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like when you get a blowjob by a midget while you're shitting on the toilet. It doesn't have to be a midget. As, oh, toilet, I yeah. thought it was specifically meant. No, it's just um, in that one situation. That's what it was. Got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. You <laughs> son of a bitch. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, for the second time this week, I've been abandoned by, by a co-host. But um, we're going to finish, I guess. At dawn on Thursday, the 21st of September, Glover took hold of a rifle and shot any German sniper that he, could, <laughs> that he could see in the vicinity. And he believed that he hit three or four of them. Not too shabby. Um, 
for a guy with a 60R22 shot on a metal rooster. Uh, his position was eventually spotted, and they shelled the crap out of him. More particularly, not him, but the building he was in, which uh, this resulted in him falling from the first falling from the first floor to the room below. Okay, so he fell either into the basement, or since this I got this from a British source. He either fell into the basement or he fell onto the main floor because they don't consider the main floor the first floor or some shit like that. I don't know. Um, regardless, he was not injured somehow. Um, a private that was with him was not so lucky, and he took a shell splinter right through the bridge of the goddamn nose. Ugh. Um, Pat Glover, being a good guy, um, removed it with a set of pliers. Which sounds horrendous that that would be like the worst pain. You just involuntarily had your nose pierced and then some dude ripped out the fucking metal with a pair of pliers. No, thank you. Ugh. Ah. So you then went to the side door of the house and uh, noticed a single German moving across the road and he took a shot. Uh, unfortunately, an enemy tank arrived on the scene just as this happened and noticed the shot. And uh, it began to fire on the building where uh, Major War, again, great name for a, for a fucking officer, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Smythe were, uh, were hanging out. And he could hear the two officers debating whether they ought to hold the position or fall back. Um, so they made the, uh, the more intelligent move here, and they uh, retreated back to a different building, the one that was occupied by uh, uh, Lieutenant Sanders. Yeah, because you don't want to stay in the in the same fucking building where they've already pinned you down with a tank, and now they're going to keep shooting. That seems like an incredibly bad idea. Unfortunately, the building that they abandoned would later in the day become occupied by Germans. Um, and they've now cut Glover off, and they're starting to really, really crank on the pressure um, on his building. And they're just, they're firing. They've got machine guns, um... Uh, Everything from machine guns to submachine guns, and they are just throwing everything they've got at the building that Glover's in. Thankfully, the the paratroopers, uh, they did what paratroopers do, and that's be super fucking badass. <laughs> and they just, uh, they really have nothing to lose at this point, so they just get out in the road and they drive the Germans out by force. They just run across the road, charge them, and uh, the Germans kind of take a powder. So Glover then turns his attention back to trying to snipe, and he's about to shoot a German who's running across uh, the grass, which is uh, just to the north, uh, north, uh, just to the north of his position, when a bullet hit his right hand and severed two veins, uh, which makes it difficult to shoot when you're actively bleeding to death. He he was bleeding badly enough that the tourniquet that he used didn't stop, didn't like staunch the flow of the bleeding. He then gave command of the building to. Uh, a Sergeant Hughes and uh, he took off back to the main dressing station, uh, which was in uh, Schnoonard at the uh, Schnoonard, Schnoonard, Schnoonard. There is way too many fucking O's in this word. Jesus Christ. S-C-H-O-O-N-O-O-R-D. That's not a real fucking word. Some vowel soup. <laughs> but anyway, this... 
a terribly named hotel was about a hundred yards away. He, uh, in between here and there, he was, he was shot. Well, he was shot at several times. Um, he was wounded again in the right calf. Uh, this was by a mortar explosion that just so happened to catch him. Um, but otherwise he was the luckiest man in all of the fucking Netherlands at that point. I hate that. I'm like, I'm reading and I'm, I'm tired and everything just goes fuzzy. So I have to put my glasses on because I'm an old man. <laughs> uh, so Glover was helped into the back room that had been converted into an operating theater. Um, again, everything covered in blood and um, he's hoisted up onto the, the makeshift operating table, which I'm assuming was just like a, you know, like an old dining table or a pool table or some shit like that. I think a pool table would be pretty good for, for operating because, I mean, if you angle it right and you put, like, uh, I don't know, like some styrofoam cups. Did they, did they have styrofoam? Anyway, you put some glasses, like some pint glasses or something in the pockets, and uh, you just, you know, jack the table up and you do surgery in a little bit of an angle and you get a catch. It's, you know, easy. Easy cleanup. But if, if I had continued reading my notes that I wrote, uh, it was actually a, a stretcher that they laid across two tables. I'm, I'm retarded. Uh, the doctor let him know that, uh, morphine probably not going to help because there's not a whole bunch of it. And, um, it's like, well, I could give you morphine, but since there's so little, we'd, uh, we'd be maybe taking it away from somebody that could use it more than you. And, um, but we will, we'll give it to you anyway. Uh, Glover being either superhuman or something else waves it off and tells the doctor to keep going. You know, he's like, I want you to check my leg over. Um, and as the doctor is looking at his leg, this is some shit you couldn't make up for a movie. Cause if you put it in a, in a movie like, ah, oh, that's, that can't be real. It's, that's bullshit. Um, he, the doctor catches in his peripheral vision and just kind of smiles at Glover and he says, quote, don't look now, but we've got company. Uh, Glover looked over the doctor's shoulder and saw a German soldier just hanging out. Um, he's got his bolt action rifle and it's pointed straight at him. And the doctor says, quote, keep quiet and he'll go away. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, the same fucking logic that goes with uh you know you encounter a bear or something just like ah leave him alone he'll leave you alone eventually so the german turned his back and uh, actually walked back out of the door and um as soon as he lost sight of him glover passed out from the excessive blood loss on the 22nd of september which is a friday uh glover finds himself as a prisoner of war with uh, several other wounded men uh, and they were put into a horse cart and taken to the uh, St. Elizabeth Hospital where they were put in bed on the top floor. He had taken, he had done, like, this was, this is a pro gamer move here. He, before he passed out, or somewhere in between passing out, waking back up and passing out again and being moved, he has removed all of his rank insignias off of his uniform. Because um, he figured he's probably got a better chance of escaping if he looked like, a lower ranking enlisted than an officer where they'd go, nah, we're going to keep you because you have value. 
Two days later, he's transported in a similar fashion, so again in a horse cart, to a hospital um, in Appledorn. Finally, a goddamn name I can pronounce. On the way there, they get hit by an air raid, which, um, the like, because obviously you can't see everybody that's in the vehicle. Uh, you just see, hey, that's a German truck. We're going to fucking bomb it or shoot at it or whatever. There's not like a... <laughs> you don't have like a heads-up display with, you know, like a fucking friendly fire marker or something like Call of Duty. That's just, that's not how it works. So this German driver just kind of dumps this thing in the ditch to get to some cover. They do eventually get to uh, get to Appledorn, and this part is fucking crazy that this, again, you couldn't make this up for a movie. A Dutch priest visited all the wounded men on Sunday, and um, he was going through the Lord's Prayer with everybody. And as he's doing it, he's doing it in English, which most of the Germans don't understand, which is fine. But he's also adding things to it. It goes like this. <clears throat> Our Father, who art in heaven, Captain Peter, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day, Otterloo. So, not real specific with everything. Um, but Pat was smart enough to figure that uh, I need to get the fuck out of here. Go to Otterloo and try to find some dude named Captain Peter who just so happens to be the head of the Dutch resistance. On October 15th, Glover is about ready to make his escape. And uh, another officer talks to him. And he's like, because basically the agreement that had been made here was the Germans will put the wounded guys up in this hospital and essentially leave them alone other than medical attention. But if anybody tried to escape they would take it out on whoever was left there. Um, so Glover said that he didn't really give a damn <laughs> because uh, it was his job as an officer to escape. Um, another, The other officer just kept hammering at him and eventually he tells Glover, he's like, okay, listen, if you're going to go, at least take somebody else with you. Glover planned it and uh, they both fell into line with the cooks who were marched... Uh, from the cookhouse at 6 p.m. every night to their cells nearby, and they left the group to hide behind a shelter close to the cookhouse. They waited here until it got dark, and at uh, 1945, the time, not the year, uh, Glover ran across the uh, the grass, and he buried himself beneath an enormous Red Cross flag that had been placed on the ground. Because uh, part of that agreement was the Germans had said, we're not gonna we're gonna treat this place as a hospital and not a POW camp, essentially. Uh, so by putting that big red cross flag out there kind of signifies to any allied planes flying over. This is a hospital. Probably don't bomb it, I guess. Um, it, in Europe, like the European theater, the U.S. and the Brits and the Germans were all pretty good about not fucking with hospitals intentionally or medics. You can't say the same thing for the Pacific Theater because there was medics there. They would take the Red Cross armband off because that acted as a target for the Japanese because they didn't want to lose the war. And um, like, even if it was an American medic that was trying to render aid to a downed Japanese soldier, they would still fucking shoot him 
because he was an American, um, which is kind of fucked up. But when you think about the rest of the shit the Japanese did during World War II, it's not really that bad at all. Um, like, these are the people that were fucking bisecting humans alive and, you know, they, uh, they raped an entire city. They had officers that were going on fucking killing competitions that were being covered by Japanese newspapers. You know, run-of-the-mill war crimes, shit like that. Uh, the Japanese deserved everything they got after World War II. Sorry, during World War II. After World War II, they're just fucking strange. Um, so the other guy who's following him, he was supposed to leave 15 minutes after, and he just never showed up. So Glover waits another 15 minutes. So he has spent half an hour under this giant-ass flag. Um, and after that 15 minutes passes, he figures something's probably gone wrong. He got caught. We got cold feet, whatever. Um, so he just takes off on his own, gets out to the edge of the compound. Um, and he had to cross a road to get to the wire, but he found that the sentries were too close to the road for him to have any real chance to get across there without being seen. He waited for a while. And as he's kind of, you know, picking his brain, like, what the hell should I do here? He gets an idea in the form of a, low flying air <laughs> aircraft coming by um these german german sentries did what every normal person does when a plane flies by real low they fucking looked up at it and um he as soon as they looked up he ran across the road um completely unseen finds that the barbed wire has tin cans tied to it to work as like a in the primitive alarm system um but he also found that someone who was real bad at their job and left a pair of goddamn wire cutters leaned up against the fucking fence. So Glover, had, he, he had been smart enough to bring some string with him and he ends up tying all of these wires together so that they don't make any noise as he's cutting through the fence. So he must have noticed on the way in that these cans were against the fence. So he thought, if I'm going to bust out of here I gotta at least quiet these things down and then the bolt cutters being left in the grass was just the cherry on top of everything so he gets through the wire he then swims across a dike um and uh he, he's had some <laughs> this guy is fucking crafty so he swims across this dike with a map in his pocket um he's got a map and a compass that he has acquired from somewhere um and he figures out where he has to go when he starts heading out towards Otterloo. So he moves very carefully, obviously, because he's by himself, an escaped prisoner of war. And he took an entire day to find his way around uh, the Deline Aerodrome. I'm not sure what that is. That's got to be some kind of a, uh, maybe an air base of some sort. And he spends most of his time in the woods and it starts to rain and he had kind of so he br he had brought a towel with him. Like, this guy thought of everything. He's like, well, I'm going to swim across the dike. I'm going to need a towel anyway to dry off because I'm British and I have to do everything properly. Um, and he would shimmy himself up a tree at night and tie himself into it with a towel so he's not sleeping on the wet ground and getting sick. It's big brain move there. And at one point in time, while he has got himself tied into a tree to sleep off the ground, he is startled awake 
by uh, <laughs> the sound of pigs looking for food. And uh, after three or four days on the run, he's cold. He's starving to death. Guy is fucked up, like, beyond repair. And he happens to stumble across a farmhouse. And he takes a big chance here. He kind of just goes up and knocks on the door to see if uh, if the owner is anybody possibly friendly to the allies. Maybe if they've got something to eat, you know, maybe some chocolate or a, a pie that he doesn't have to steal off the <laughs> off the windowsill. This little old man answers the door, um, and he just kind of shoes him off. He's like, go away, go away, and he gives him the, the hand thing to shoe him. Um, but as soon as he closed the door, he must have had a change of heart or something, and he uh, opens the door, and he's like, come around back, and um, gets him into the backyard where he's got a hole dug in the out near one of his gardens, and he goes, you can hide in there. That's fine. He lived in this hole in a man's backyard for three days, um, being fed. And um, on the third day, uh, a member of the Dutch resistance visited him. And uh, they kind of talked for a little bit, and then uh, they left. Shortly thereafter, another man shows up, this time armed with a revolver. Um, He approaches Glover and cocks the hammer and points it at him and asks, like, who the hell are you? Glover answers him, you know, Pat Glover, 10th para, (laughs) British military. Um, And to prove who he was, the guy's like, tell me what the passwords that the divisions used for the first two days of Operation Market Garden. Glover kind of thought for a couple minutes just to make sure that he had the right answer so that he didn't get shot in the fucking head. So as a little treat for for knowing the correct answers, the man gave him a cigarette and also a letter from... uh, Brigadier Hackett that said, congratulations on your escape. Uh, (laughs) And uh, gave him directions as to where to go to meet up with the rest of the Dutch resistance. Um, And it it was pretty, pretty obvious pretty quickly for Glover that uh, this second guy that he's talking to that's got a gun to his face and just gave him a cigarette is actually Captain Peter. Um, From here... Uh, these guys set out on some fucking buddy cop bullshit that I don't know how it worked, but uh, he gets Glover a pair of uh, a, a pair of overalls to cover his uniform, and um, they were then trying to get back to Allied lines, and uh, he he didn't realize, but he'd actually stumbled into uh, a chunk of what would become known of what was being called Operation Pegasus, which was the uh, the evacuation of 139 mostly British airborne troops across the Rhine. Uh, the two of them left the farmhouse on a bicycle. Um, and this is where we get into our buddy cop shit. Yeah. Captain Peter pedaling and Glover sitting on the back. Pat Glover is riding bitch on a fucking <laughs> little like 10 speed. Uh, as they're pedaling down the road, no doubt clinging the bell and, you know, looking for berries to put in their basket and shit. They are stopped by a German soldier on a motorcycle. Uh, Glover is shitting in his fucking pants at this point, thinking that um, that Captain Peter has done something to give them away, and he's he's got them killed, essentially, is what he's thinking here. And uh, turns out that <laughs> German was just lost, and he asked, stopped to ask for directions. And uh, they continued on their way until they come up on a column of uh, about two or three hundred German infantry marching in their direction. The Dutchman asked asked Glover if he had any weapons on hand. 
Um, and he responds by clicking his little wire cutters at him. He's like, this is all I got. Click, 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 click. This ain't going to do shit. I can take out one dude with it if I smash him in the face, and I'd take a couple shots. Um, so they decide the best form of attack is to just go with the flow, act normal, and just ride their bike. He did notice, Glover noticed that uh, the leg of his overalls had been kind of pushed up. And when he looked down, he could see his his British army uniform underneath them. So now he's sweating goddamn bullets as they're passing these, you know, couple hundred German soldiers. But thankfully, none of them even paid him a second look. And they pass completely untouched. So they, they, they do get out quite some distance and they arrive in the woods where uh, everybody from Operation Pegasus is kind of gathered up um, to get to the riverbank. So Glover was actually put in command of a small group of Americans that were, uh, that were part of this expedition of getting unfucked. And um, for his part in successfully getting people out of harm's way, the United States military gave a British officer a bronze star, which is incredible. <laughs> um, it was pretty regular to get like the Croix de Guerre, which was like the French Medal of Honor, but they couldn't give that out to any Frenchmen because none of them were fighting. Um, the only French that were fighting were the women in the fucking resistance movement, and they were badasses. Um, I don't think the U.S. just kind of gave out willy-nilly medals to, to uh, allies and shit, but he got one, which is pretty cool. Um, and being the kind of guy he was, he made sure everybody got across before him and he gets on the final boat to cross the Rhine. Unfortunately, they were so excited to leave that they realized after they were out in the water that they forgot their engineer. So they had to turn around to go get him. Um, and we've got a citation here. Uh, Lieutenant Quartermaster Glover, Quartermaster of 10th Parachute Battalion, took command of a... <clears throat> Of a company of mm, took command of a company when all the other officers became casualties during the confusion and bitter fighting west of Arnhem. Throughout two days of fighting, he led his men with great gallantry and complete disregard for his own safety. He was wounded and taken to a German dressing station where he displayed great initiative in assisting the chief British doctor as hospital quartermaster. Later, he escaped and joined up with a body of about a hundred other airborne troops behind the German lines. Here again, he was tireless in his assistance in organization. Uh, in organization, mm. <laughs> he was tireless in his assistance in organizing this party. During the subsequent planning and execution of a brilliant mass escape through the German lines, Lieutenant Glover again showed the greatest courage and leadership. His continued bravery and devotion to duty were outstanding. So once again, across the Rhine, Glover is taken to a hospital in Nimegen. Nijmagen? Um, fucking words, dude. We should have renamed all this bullshit stuff that Americans and British can pronounce because we won the fucking war. Anyway, um, he's brought to this, this hospital and then he's flown back to England at the end of October. Um, upon his return, he discovered that his wife uh, had, on the 24th of September, given birth to their third child, who they named John Winston, which is pretty damn cool. Um... I can't imagine how many people or anybody in any situation basically where you go off to war 
and your wife is pregnant. And then you come home and there's just another person there that has to figure out who you are. Um, being a, a fairly new parent, it's a, it's a weird sensation when you're there for the birth and, uh, you, you sit down with your child for the first time and they just look at you like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> um, occasionally my son who's over a year old still looks at me like that. He'll just like stop and look at me like, <laughs> like I'm a stranger. And he's like, what the fuck do you want? It's just wander off. Uh, God, kids are great. It's, it's fun. Um, so here's another little fun fact to wrap it up with. When the all saints church was under renovation in 1989, the weathercock had to be replaced because somebody had shot a bunch of fucking holes in it with a 22. So on October 20th of 1991, the cock was presented at the battalion shooting trophy. I'm sorry. It was presented, was presented as the battalion shooting trophy by drum roll, Retired Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Winston Pat Glover of the 10th Para. Um, the Summerby Weathercock lived in the Sergeant's Mess at the battalion location in White City until uh, 10th Para was disbanded in 1999. So it was there for a minute. That's pretty damn cool. Um, and the fact that they're like, we know it was you, you son of a bitch, and they gave it to him. That's kind of fun. Um, Pat Glover would die of... I couldn't even find a cause of death. It was in 1996. He was 88 years old. Um, so, I mean, he, he was 88 years old. That's what he died of, basically. Um, if I had to wager a guess, I'd say Myrtle was probably two or three uh, when she got chewed up by that German machine gun. But um, that's our story of uh, Pat Glover and Myrtle the Parachicken. What's kind of cool, another another cool thing with this is uh, there's a company called Stasi's Heroes, which makes uh, wargaming, like tabletop wargaming minis. Um, and a lot of the guys that did crazy shit during the war um, or had just something unique about them, like um, Jack Churchill or um, I can't remember his name. His last name was Millen. Um, he was a bagpiper, uh, Canadian bagpiper. Um so any of these guys that just had some kind of unique characteristic or something like that to them, this company makes the minis that you can run. Um, you can run these because they're the same scale size. You can use them in basically any World War II uh, tabletop wargaming kind of thing. The platform that we were using was bolt action. So, I mean, for, for bolt action, it's, uh, you know, like 28 millimeter little minis of infantry guys. You have tanks, uh armored vehicles, planes, anything you can think of from World War II, you can play it. You can play Germans, you can play Polish, you can play Brits, um, Americans, Russians. Any company any company or country that fought in World War II, you can play them. You can, you know, do a division of just, like, desert rats or, um, you know, Finns fighting in the snow. It's, it's a cool game. If you're into wargaming and you want to try something that's not fucking Warhammer, where it's, you know, a million dollars to even get started... Uh, and you're a history nerd, bolt actions kick ass. So much fun. Um, and then if you want to get into the, uh, you want to get a little bit more science fiction-y with it, there is a, another uh, another game made by the same company that's uh, basically an extension off of bolt actions called Conflict 47, where, uh, like, alternate universe kind of, kind of thing where the war didn't end, um, 
as it would have. And the Germans run the bell, like, you know, the Glocka. And it does something to open like a, a rift in space time or some shit like that. And all this crazy technology is now available to these different countries. Uh, like the Germans end up with anti-gravity weapons and um, the technology to make um, like werewolves and shit like that. Um, crazy ass jetpacks for the Fallschirmjäger, stuff like that. I only know so much about the German half of it because in Conflict 47, that's what I was playing because the Germans had all the cool shit. Like, I don't know, fucking werewolves and these crazy demon bat things um, and paratroopers with jump packs. It's fucking crazy. It's so much fun. Um, but I got sidetracked. Anyway, um, but yeah, you can you can go onto that website and uh, you can find basically any any individual that did some weird stuff during World War II, and they probably have a miniature of them. Um, yeah, so I can't believe I didn't even mention Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Dark Windows Podcast for a cup of coffee, five dollars. Depending on where you're getting coffee, it's probably less than a cup of coffee. Uh, I know if you go to Starbucks and you get a, a large, because I refuse to call it whatever the fuck they want you to call it. Uh, it's like seventeen dollars or something. So I mean, that's three that's three months worth of Patreon for one Starbucks coffee. You know, think about it like that. Just you know, if you want to hear some more bullshit that you're already hearing for free, and you just want to pay for it uh, for stuff that we can't necessarily cover as a full episode, or uh, it's like a little side piece that we found interesting that wouldn't have enough for a full episode, we'll do it on Patreon, and we fucking ramble on Patreon just like we do here. Uh, it gets a little bit more un unhinged, but you know, that's to be expected by the paywall. So that's five bucks a month. Give it a check out. We've got almost 90 episodes of the Patreon. We're, we're getting up there. We're almost into triple digits of that shit. Um, you can also head over to studio.com and uh, grab a set of earbuds. Uh, grab a, a kick-ass speaker. And uh, whatever you want, throw it in your cart. Put Dark Windows 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. I know you guys probably don't want to hear this, but uh, the holiday season is rapidly approaching. I sit here at the last week of September, knowing full well that uh, I am not going to start Christmas shopping until approximately December 12th, because <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, but if you're more prepared than I am, and you know somebody who wants some high-quality Swedish-made headphones or earbuds or speaker, you can go over and get them now. Beat the rush. Fuck them last-minute shoppers like me. Because uh, we're the ones that suck and fuck everything up for everybody else. So don't be a Kevin. Just go do your Christmas shopping early or on time or whatever. Um, it will take a little bit for them to get to you because they are, you know, out of Sweden. And uh, Europe is kind of a mess with the war and whatnot. So the shipping may be a little slow. But uh, last time I checked, the Swedes weren't involved in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's what we got. And since Kevin isn't here to fuck it up, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. Goodbye. <laughs>